Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Ron Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. A friendly reminder to become a 905er yourself. Support the pod you love by signing up through our Patreon. The link is in the show notes below. If you sign up today, you'll be able to show your support literally anywhere that you go now. For our supporters, we will send you our new car window cling decal. Whether you're in traffic or safely parked, you can show others that you're now an official 905er. Sign up today. Well, it's finally here. March break. Or April break, as I guess we're now calling it. Also, the third lockdown, sorry, a shutdown is here. You know, the one that postponing March break was supposed to avoid. More and more, we seem to be lurching through this pandemic. Always playing catch up to the facts. We are behind in our vaccination schedule, it seems as well. The provincial plan is not able to keep up with the spread of these new COVID-19 variants. As a result, Peel Public Health, along with Niagara and Ottawa, amongst others in Ontario, have ordered that their schools closed to help curb transmission within the community. We have also seen school boards from across the 905 issue official letters demanding that teachers and staff in our schools be prioritized on the vaccination schedule. To their credit, the Ontario government has announced the shift in vaccination plans to prioritize teachers and staff starting April 16th. But what is actually going on in our schools? That's a question that we've been asking ourselves for a while now. To answer it, we've reached out to Halton District School Board Chair Andrea Grabance, as well as Halton Catholic School Board Chair Patrick Murphy. Both school boards have issued letters calling on the province and public health to prioritize the vaccination of teachers and staff. They join us today to give their reasoning to why they felt the need to take such drastic action, how our schools have been coping under the strain of COVID-19, and just what our system needs to survive the rest of the year and to ensure our schools are as safe as possible. Have a listen. I'd like to thank uh, HDSB Chair Andrea uh, Grabance and HCDSB uh, Chair Patrick Murphy for coming on the 905er today. Thank you both for uh, for joining us and taking the time for your, from your busy schedules to uh, to chat with us. Thanks for having us. Uh, um, let's uh, let's begin with uh, the simple fact that both of your uh, school boards have issued letters to the Ministry of Education, to the Minister of Education, as well as to uh, the Premier Doug Ford, requesting that your respective uh, teaching teachers and the staff inside the schools be prioritized in terms of the vaccination schedules um, in the, in the region. Um, I'll start with you, uh, uh, Chair Murphy, uh, and then hand it over to you, uh, Chair Grabans. Uh, can you just tell us what what was the motivation? for the school board to, uh, to issue this letter? Well, I think it's the variance is, is the difference. Uh, the variant is, um, is increasing the, uh, uh, the number of cases and, and the number of cases with younger people uh, is increasing at a rapid rate. Um, you know, we, we all have a very comprehensive plan uh, that was keeping our school safe and, and for the most part, for quite a period of time, the results were, were quite good. We didn't see a lot of transmission uh, within within the classrooms, uh, and it was working. Now we're we're at a, a, a point where we're seeing more and more cases entering our schools from the community. Uh, there's it's apparent that there's more widespread uh, uh, variant in the community. Why and how that really is not for us to determine, but behaviors and what have you. But the reality is, um, is we're seeing more and more 
students come to school with uh, with the virus. Um, the the provincial government has ordered a lockdown and a, a stay at home for all of those people that can. Our teachers don't necessarily our teachers don't have that option. So um, to us, it seems uh, critical that we all agree and we know that in person learning is is critical. It's it's valued. It's it's important to the wealth, health, and well being of mental health of students. Um, yet we're in this uh, we're in this between a rock and a hard place where um, other people can stay at home, but our teachers have to work and, and provide this essential and valuable service. So so we thought as a board we have to do whatever we can to make sure that at least if our um, our teachers, staff, and and educational workers are uh, vaccinated, um, it will help uh, trying to minimize spread of the, the virus. And uh, and Chair Grabas, uh, does the does your does your comments mirror that? Uh, very similar. Um, certainly, it's important to have our staff vaccinated, uh, especially um, well all of our staff, but at our kindergarten level, we our students do not have masks. And also in our special education, our self-contained classes, uh, some staff uh, are working with students that uh, cannot efficiently or effectively use masks and also don't understand social distancing, also have to provide help in some cases, feeding students and toileting students. So they, they work in a PSW kind of role as well. And uh, on top of that, um, what our concern also is, is this patchwork that's happening across the province uh, for vaccination schedules uh, for staff and, and just generally. And uh, I'm sure it's this very similar in the H. CDSB, where not all of our staff live in Halton. So we have staff that live in Hamilton, Niagara, uh, Waterloo, Wellington, Peel. And so right now, the way the vaccination schedules work is it's based on where you live. So if we have staff in our schools making a uh, an appointment to get vaccinated, they it, the way it works right now, it seems like they would have to leave their classroom or their post and go back to their region to get vaccinated and return. And right now, it, we are in a critical time where we have a hard time dealing with staff shortages right now. And to put this on top and to risk, you know, not having proper super supervision for our students and breaking the integrity of that a cohort of that bubble that's in that classroom. Uh, it's really, we're really looking for the minister and Dr. Williams to uh, direct a uh, more coordinated uh, vaccination program for education staff. So there isn't this, well, Halton does it this way, uh, Hamilton does it this way, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think I, I just want to say you made an excellent point um, about the fact that maybe it's just my mentality as going through the school i always figured like you know teachers just live near your school right like you, you don't you don't have this idea of like oh no my teachers my teachers have a life outside of <laughs> outside of the school and it, it, i did honestly what you just said may kind of triggered a, a, a light bulb to go off my head was that yeah i mean the teachers don't necessarily live in halton you're right they may live in guelph and they travel to the schools in halton region or they live 
in Peel or they live in, in Hamilton or, or, or beyond. And yeah, you, know, you, don't, you don't think about it, but that is, it is a real barrier to getting an effective strategy out to get, I mean, going back to what uh, Chair Murphy said, that these people are on the front lines. Like they, they are exposed to not, not secure bubbles. I, I guess that's how I would phrase uh, on a daily basis. <clears throat> Less less than half of our staff live in live in Halton. We actually we have about ten percent of our staff actually live in, in Toronto. Which is really, statistic that that surprised me. The other element to add on, as as uh, as Andrea was was indicating, so um, with the creation of virtual schools and virtual learning, uh, there's a shortages a shortage of teachers and a shortage of occasional teachers. We may be sharing occasional teachers with multiple boards. So you're you're layering on all of these complexities where where we think it's it's one teacher in one class for the day and that's it. Um, it's not there, there's not that's not the case and and uh, not only saying that's the, the highest percentage, but it is a reality that a certain percentage is a certain percentage of, of teachers have contact with multiple bubbles. Significant enough that it, it really they should be prioritized over over others. I mean, we've been quite critical in recent weeks of of the kind of provincial response. Generally, uh, appreciate you you have to be far more diplomatic, but it seems that well, it, it seems like there's an inherent logic in going where the going where the infection is. Um, a <clears throat> and that that has been very much in the workplaces, and we you know somehow we we have forgotten that that schools are workplaces. Uh, and uh, and workplaces that the government has been keen to prioritize remain open even as they have wanted them to stay open now when we're in this you know third lockdown do do you, why do you think i mean I, i'm just thinking right now of uh, a press conference that uh, minister lecce gave the other day where he seemed quite critical of, of the unions and things like this and it, it didn't it wasn't very empathetic, shall we say, for for the position of teachers who who many of whom are, are I mean, certainly teachers I've spoken to are, are frankly scared um, and feel that they're at the bottom of of uh, every list. Um, do you think there's any? Do you think that's a fair criticism? A and B. Do you think? Uh, why do you think that is? I'll start off with you, Andrea. So I think one of the major problems with uh, how the government is coming at this is uh, with regard to education is that they do not have an educator advising them directly. Uh, what they need is someone like a director, a retired director, somebody who knows operations in the schools and how these decisions impact the schools. I mean, this goes to even back to December when they were uh, providing a notice of closure of schools. We needed more time. We had to, the operations to be able to get technology into the hands of the students isn't a 24-hour thing. So we need to be able to ramp up that machine to make sure that everybody has what they need before that announcement is even made. So um, having someone at the table who is an educator, who understands what happens at the schools is, is missing. It is missing. Sorry, from, from my perspective, I also see that um, 
overall, not just with education, just the, the distribution of vaccines. It was, look, we, it was looked at from the wrong end. It was looked at from the manufacturing and distribution, pushing it through the system instead of, of looking at it uh, from the practical standpoint to re-engineer re, uh, re it, to, to, to vaccinate as many people as you can. How do you do that? Um, by letting individual public health units figure it out, that's where you, you're getting all of these uh, these confusions. Um, you know, so looking at it from the standpoint of perfect example, if you have uh, 300 teachers working in a high school, you have a two day clinic, you vaccinate them all in two days, and, and you can do that in larger workplaces and what have you. I think I think that's that's where. Uh, it should have started. It should have started with the delivery system and then worked its way back to through distribution and manufacturing. I think that's why we're having the challenge we have now. Well, I, I mean, let, let's uh, let's go on to that. But the the new, I think we're we're the government's hinting at we're getting into a new way of delivering vaccines to uh, Ontarians. Uh, they've Minister Lecce has come out and said that, um, and 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 Premier Ford has both come out and said that we're going to start focusing on the hot spots of where the the vaccine is. And Minister Lecce uh, this week in a press conference, <clears throat> excuse me, um, said that teachers would be prioritized coming uh, next week. This is uh, the April April break, I guess is what we're calling it now. Um, it, I mean, that, that's I think that we both think that's good. I'm wondering, as if you're in a spot, I mean, I I think we've all, we talked. You need to go where the where the the, vac the virus is. But have you been and put it on on that plan? Uh, have you been told, okay, get your teachers to pick a high school, get the teachers uh, on Tuesday show up, and we're just going to start jabbing needles in arms to get your teachers vaccinated? Um, uh, you know, what have, have you are are you aware of what the plan is to get teachers vaccinated? Uh, and here, let's go. An announcement coming out later today, uh, but we're not as as of this point. I'm not aware. And uh, what I and uh, I'm sure that announcement uh, is also coming out from our board today, uh, and because we work, our boards work together with public health. Um, so there would not be; <laughs> it would be very odd to not uh, work with the Halton Public Health and the Halton Catholic Board. Um, but uh, the um, the the problem is that uh, you know I. I do not believe we're starting vaccination tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, but I see that Brant County is starting vaccination of their special education teachers tomorrow. So there's, again, this patchwork going around. Uh, so um, it's, it's frustrating. And and when we he will hear from staff saying, oh, because so-and-so lives here, right. they will be able to be vaccinated, but I will not. Well, and that, it makes it very confusing. And and it is hard on mental health of our staff. Well, I mean, uh, just so our listeners are aware, we're recording this on Friday at about 1.20 in the afternoon that we're recording this right now. And we're waiting to hear this announcement. I mean, this is Friday afternoon. And we're talking about a massive vaccination program for, let's let's face it, not just Halton and the 905, but there's roughly about 200,000 teachers. I've, I've heard that number, 200,000 teachers across the entire province that we're now going to prioritize starting next week. That's not something that you just kind of, you know, it's, that's not the, that's to borrow the parlance of, of education. We don't hand the homework in at the last minute <laughs> and expect the yay. Um, 
you know, do, do you, do you have time, do you have, will your staff have time to prepare adequately to get as many needles in the arms starting Monday morning in theory, do you think? Uh, let's start with, uh, let's go to you, uh, uh, Chair Gravance. So uh, I'm, so public health would be in charge of, of course, vaccinating. Mm -hmm. um, we have offered uh, our facilities to act as hubs, but it is up to public health to enact whatever plans they have. And uh, at this point, I don't know the operational plans of that. It, and, uh, if I can sort of um, jump in on, on Joel's question to, to an extent, do you think, uh, reading somewhat between the lines of, of what you've both said, um, it feels like the province has delegated an awful lot in, in a situation where what was needed was a provincial response. That's why we have different levels of government. Sometimes it's the right thing to do to say, this is Halton's uh, decision to make, or this is the Catholic school board's decision to make, or and sometimes the right decision is provincial and sometimes the right decision is federal. Um, it seems like the province has been very reluctant to kind of lay down the law and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, this is where we're going to prioritize this. You know, like you said, you know, Brant County is talking about when they're going to be vaccinating. Brant County is, is not, um, as far as I'm aware, uh, an area of particular high concern for, for, for you know, I, I know there are cases everywhere, but uh, it, it's it's not Peel. Um, is that again? Is that uh, how you feel that really that there should have been a more um, almost a stronger response from the province of saying this is the way it's going to, we're going to make the decisions here because we have to. This is a provincial problem, uh, uh, Chair Murphy. You I, I think from my perspective. Who has who has ultimate responsibility of getting the needle in somebody's arm? No, nobody does. Uh, the federal government acquired uh, the vaccines. They distributed them to the provinces. The provinces have, in our case, the provinces delegated to X number of public health units. At the end of the day, if one person is responsible and and they have to report every day how many vaccines were delivered, I think the approach and the response would have been different it's almost a matter of taking ownership i mean it's such a basic sort of thing it's like, okay who's in charge <laughs> down the road so the, yeah so somebody has to be some one person has to be in charge of, of yeah. getting that and it we have we we do have somebody in charge of getting the vaccine and the vaccine getting it to the distribution centers and then i was like oh, okay now we can relax and no that's or 50% of the way. Somebody has to bring it across the goal line, uh, and, and we don't have that. It perfect sums up the, the problem here. My, I do want to touch upon the fact that we're co we cover the entire 905 region, and we've seen letters from Peel, both public and Catholic, here in Halton, public and Catholic boards, and I believe in Hamilton-Wentworth as well, the public and Catholic boards are all issuing these letters. Clearly, there's a consensus amongst on the ground in the schools. We need to protect those who are who are in the classrooms, in the schools, uh, administration and support staff uh, as much as possible. Yet we hear from the province, um, schools are, are, are safe. You know, Mr. Leshy was coming out with saying there's 98 percent, they're 98 percent safe, whatever that means. Um, it, do you feel like there's a bit of a disconnect between the, the ministry and what's happening on the ground in our schools? 
Um, you know, the, the, if all major boards in the 905 region are issuing letters like we need our te- we need our people safe, our people aren't safe, make them safe. That that strikes me as a bit of a disconnect between what the minister is saying and what you guys are seeing on the ground. Uh, I see you're 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 nodding your head, Andrea. I'll let you respond to that. Well, again, it it I find unfortunately I find that the uh, ministry doesn't t- treat the boards like education partners. It's it's uh, things are directed at us. We're told things. Uh, we do have uh, an opportunity to speak to have a, a half an hour conversation uh, with the minister, the chairs uh, around the board, around the, uh, the province and the directors also sit on the call, but that's 72 boards in the province and we have half an hour. And usually the minister talks for about uh, 10, sometimes 15 minutes. And so we get a few opportunities to get a few questions in. And that's really the only time we get to provide some input and uh, directly to the minister. So it's, it is frustrating that way because how can we convey what's going on in that kind of environment? It's it's not a robust <laughs> conversation at all. Do you, do you think there are certainly people who would say uh, that this government is because of their uh, view of 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 uh, unions, teachers' unions in particular, uh, perhaps because you know the Minister of Education is not uh, someone who went through our public education system. That, that there's there's pretty much a kind of um, bias against the education, you know, almost like they don't like the education system. They're having to deal with it because they have no choice. But it's it's. It's an almost an adversarial relationship, uh, particularly not necessarily so much with the school boards and, and trustees and the directors of education, but certainly with kind of rank and file teachers uh, and the role of unions in in uh, representing teachers. I mean, it seems like a very unhealthy situation. It is again, is that a fair accusation to make, uh, uh, Chair Murphy? I, I think from from my perspective, we had the education system being the second largest expense uh, for provincial government. Uh, I'll use the term had a target on our back from, from day one. It, it is a great expense, but it is, it is the value of our society. If we want to live and maintain our lifestyle, we need to have an educated population. So, so it is critical. Uh, is it, a, it is a lot of money. Yes, it's a lot of money, but it, we're also educating million students um, so I think that's that's part of the element the, the other aspect of it is I think uh, you know when when they're looking from 30,000 feet uh, a teacher is a homogeneous block and this block is in their classroom when you turn the lights off they just stay there they don't realize their their parents with children in public education and they live in different regions not just the region where where they're educated and they have the same stresses and concerns that we all do going going through this and, and aspirations in life. So so I think that's the challenge is, is it does, uh, from their level, it, they're grouping it all together as a homogeneous block. And the challenges that, that we have in a, in a 
urban environment versus rural is completely different. So where, you know, where we're excited about the opportunities for virtual learning, other in rural areas, they're petrified because if they lose <coughs> to their, to their class, then the school is no longer viable. And then, you know, if you close a, a school in a, in a rural community, there goes the community. So, so I think that's the challenge. And, and maybe as, uh, as Andre had pointed out is that not having that understanding and, and of the nuances of education and of each region does have an impact. You're just looking at the macro level. If we have to spend X number of billions of dollars a year in education, then how do we get either reduce that or get more bang for our buck? What's the biggest expense in education and salaries? So I think that puts, if, if you're trying to look, instead of looking at the output of having a, a higher, more performance or, or more well-educated well uh, society, you're looking at how do I, you know, cost per student, how do I get it down? Two different, two different ways of looking at it and your results will, will end up being very different. Check or pens? So I think that uh, the government has a failure to see that there are three education partners at this table. It's the school boards, the ministry, and the teachers' unions. Uh, they are part of it. You can't have an education system without those parts. And as for um, uh, where this, uh, where education is kind of going, there has been recently uh, a confidential slide deck. It's a confidential slide deck, but it was uh, leaked through the Globe and Mail, the stars picked it up, and the slide deck is in total uh, available on a CBC article that talks about where they would like to go with education. And uh, it includes uh, a lot more correspondence type courses at the secondary level, uh, heavily involving TVO uh, as part of this whole thing, uh, selling courses through TVO internationally. Um, and there are and there are smaller things in there uh, talking about the uh, doing away with uh, snow days, which to me is a big tell. It's a small thing, but a big tell that they don't understand how the system works and how even that small thing produces inequities in the system. Um, because it makes an assumption that every day, all students have devices that they can use at home. All students have internet connections that they can use at home. And that all lesson plans easily move over into, into a, a, a virtual <laughs> environment at any time. And uh, that to me is wild. But going back to this slide deck of remote learning, um, it, uh, it really, um, it really looks like it could open up our education system to more commodification and, you know, looking down the line, privatization. When, in when we're, one thing that, that struck me as coming out of this pandemic is how interconnected all these different things are. Um, and it's something that we, I mean, the two of you have com commented about how we presume like the teachers live in, in, in the, in, in the board that they, that they, they work in. And that's clearly not the case. I mean, it, we, We've seen uh, the, when, this, when the province implements their lockdown procedures, 
and they say, okay, Toronto appeal, but not Halton. They seem to not take into account that as uh, Chair Murphy, as you said, a good 50% of your employees live in the lockdown area and they're coming in because you yourselves are not locked down. You're not a, you know, you're not at a stay at home order or whatnot. Your, your schools are still opening. And it's this, the, the interconnectedness of everything uh, that we have between where we live, how, how we work, go to work and how we, um, uh, how we do this, this government doesn't seem to quite appreciate. And I'm wondering, maybe you want to take a look at how, how that lack of foresight is, is impacting your abilities to properly ad address. It seems like we're always play, playing catch up because of that. We're not taking into account the fact that we're all, everything is, everything is, is not isolated. We don't live in silos is, is the point I'm trying to make. Um, and just how maybe you want to comment on how that might, maybe that's impacted your planning as school boards to properly respond in, in, in and, and whatnot. Uh, I, I, I comment for myself. So uh, Andrea is more, much more experienced in education than I do. I come from a uh, from a business background and have been uh, a trustee for uh, two and a half years. So, you know, you approach things in business, problem, solution. You know, maybe, maybe there's two or three solutions and you look at it. Uh, education is unbelievably complex and regulated. Um, the system developed over time and, and layers were added, never necessarily stripped away. So, so where you think you can move from problem to solution, you're really going through five or six filters, waiting for a response, campaigning for and saying, well, you know, if you have a need, fill the need. It doesn't work that way. And, and even, uh, with, with budgets and, and funding and saying, okay, well, how much money do we have in the bank? Just pay for it. Well, no, you can't because this, is allocated for something different. Um, all of those complexities that to um, will impact your end result, which is producing uh, or or allowing students to achieve their their best and realize their full potential. So if we start with the end goal, which is allowing students to realize their full potential and work work backwards, then then that would in my mind would be a very different system and, and different different regulated than than we are now uh, and i think that's where managing a board all of our challenge a lot of our challenges come in is just the complexity that has now evolved into our education system and it's it's very uh, interesting point you you made there i mean coming from from a business background that uh there's a temptation and perhaps we saw that. I know uh, we've just learned that the, uh, the the new director of education in York, who was a kind of a, a non came from a non education background, has uh, has kind of resigned after a, after about a month. Um, and that again, there's a feeling that that the province thinks, well, you know, we treat everything like a business, and it will work out fine. And it's like, well, no, you've you've got this. Thing that is surrounded by legislation, are surrounded by so many um, conflicting needs, and which has also evolved over time, it's, as you just described so well, uh, that you just can't. And ultimately, it's not a profit-making thing. This is an edu. The the point is to educate people uh, to the best ability possible. And I always feel that you know, in terms of competing on a global stage. Um, with other nations like China or, or uh, other Asian countries, 
our, our competitive advantage is education. You know, we're not going to compete on wages because uh, they'll undercut us. So, so what do we have that they don't? Well, we have an education system that is you know, amongst the best in the world. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's important to hear that. I think for people like yourself who have worked in a business background, that's like, you know, it doesn't necessarily work like that. We might like it to, and that, there's often going to be things we can learn from different, um, from the private sector and uh, uh, from wherever in the world, we can always learn. Uh, but this this kind of idea that you you, you dump a a market type of um, uh, paradigm onto education or healthcare or whatever uh, seems like a real well. I, I've I've seen it over my life in in different countries now, and it just doesn't seem to work very well to me. Um, that was almost a, a, a one of my classic uh, questions, which didn't have a question mark at the end. So I apologize for that. But coming back to your point, um, Chet Grabenz, about the the move to online education and 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 the concern that that really this is the the subtext of a lot of that's happening. And, and COVID has just thrown a spanner into the works because it's kind of given them even more justification to take that route because we've been doing it now. Why do you think it's uh, important? That um, in-person educate, you know, what are the advantages of in-person education? And I, I could add, I could give you a few, but uh, your opinion is much more relevant. Well, in in-person education, as opposed to correspondence education, mm-hmm. um, because we do have. Uh, and we have for a long time had online courses available for students who have had uh, a hard time fitting courses into their schedule. But what what we're talking at this point is uh, correspondence courses as a uh, as an option for students. So, um, so not necessarily online at all, but actually kind it, of through the mail. No, I, I believe it would be a, a digital. Um, version of uh, correspondence. It's it's not supposed to be synchronous. Uh, there isn't a teacher um, really facilitated. Right, I see. Yeah. Uh, there are, <laughs> and and you know, if the government went about this with actual data, we are we are right here in an opportunity. We have been working in a virtual environment. Like I believe it's close to one quarter, one third of our students are actually in the virtual environment and have been since September. We have data. The whole province has data. We could be serving. We could be consulting. We could find out what works, what doesn't work. We could have evidence, but what this plan does is not bother and just rams forward. It feels like a freight train that's already left the station going full tilt. And I think I, I, I am proud of our education system in Ontario. It is one of the best in the world and is the envy of many other jurisdictions. And we should be fighting for this. And when we make changes to this very complex system, it should be evidence-based. It shouldn't just, we don't even know why this is happening. It is just happening. And unfortunately, it's happening in a way that isn't out in the open. 
we we are you know we can't our our opspa cannot um uh, freely consult with our like we can't consult with our constituents on it um we have been told not to so how is that a consultation as we're entering into the April break, and we're supposedly going to be getting into the ramping up again of the vaccination cycles, hopefully to get more and more uh, teachers across the province uh, vaccinated. What, what what do you need from the provincial government to help facilitate this, or even from the from the public health unit? You know, because I'm sure you 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 want to make sure that teachers and students are safe from COVID as much as much as the next one. What 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 is that you that you need? You make sure that you're 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 confident to keep schools open and 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 start uh, getting back to normal. Uh, Chair Murphy, if I can maybe start off with you. Well, we know that um, when students follow the protocol in school, uh, there is very little transmission. So when they wear when they wear their masks and they wash their hands and, and you know the the other challenge which we didn't touch on in in Halton. In most regions, there's very little space. It's not like you can add five or six classrooms to a school and spread students out. So, so we know that the protocols, uh, for the most part, work within the schools. But, but if we if we're introducing more viruses from the community, um, it's going to break down at some point. It's only going to last so long. So it's almost like we can see the the you know the water starting to come over the dam. So we either need to make sure that the people in the school are vaccinated um, or we, or I can't see how we can, can keep the schools open during this surge of the variant. I, I, I don't see any, any other alternative. Uh, Chair Garbans, do you, do you have to comment? Well, what we, what we need is an actual provincial directive and coordination of the vaccination program. And we need the funding to match it. Because if we're talking the possibility of using mobile units, well, that costs money to do. Do you need to train more people? Probably. I mean, I hate to look to the states, but they have pharmacists, nursing students, uh, medical students, technicians, anybody who has been trained to use a needle is, is working on getting those vaccines into the arms. We don't see that at this time. Uh, and it costs money to do that, but now's the time to spend it because it costs, it's $23,000 a day for someone to be in the hospital. And people are in the hospital when they go for about 10 to 14 mm -hmm. days. So it is very expensive to have people ill and it's a horrible outcome to have them die. So mm -hmm. let's put the money where it's effective. And our staff work with multiple family bubbles. Mm -hmm. let's, let's get that contained and move forward. Um, Chair Murphy, I want to go back to just a comment that you made. You're, you're worried about if the, the, cur the current path that we're on, action's not taken, um, that we might be facing with further school closures just due to the spread of, of variants. I know that um, here in Halton, Dr. Magani um, hasn't issued a, a public uh, Section 22 order, I believe is the proper uh, terminology. Yet we know that in Peel next door, 
there was down the road in, in Niagara, uh, orders were, were made. And, and I know that you, you're eagerly waiting to hear from uh, the public health officer. Are, are, I guess, how, how concerned are you that, you know, that, that, well, right now the status quo is schools are open, that schools could be closed kind of, you know, we've seen less than, less than 12 hours notice really from the end of a day. Is that something that you're, that you're very much concerned about? Uh, very much so. Um, doing nothing, we know what the path is going to be. So uh, we need a response. Something needs needs to be done, and, and something needs to be uh, to be changed. So, uh, no, I'm very very concerned at this point. That uh, hoping, you know, Canadians were very polite people. We let, we'll wait our turn. Wrong approach. You know, we should have approached this aggressively. Um, you know. The virus is a war. It is attacking us, and we're content to wait in line. And we, we know it's going to end. It's okay. Wear you know, wear your mask, wait in line, wash your hands. You'll be okay. That doesn't work anymore. You know, we have to uh, we have to regroup. Look at this from an aggressive standpoint. Um, just a, from a logistical standpoint, uh, I'll, I'll ask this to you, Chair one, uh, Murphy, one more time, and I'm sure uh, Chair Garbanz, you'll have something to say. How easy is it to close down the school system? Uh, on a 12-hour notice, uh, and as well as how easy is it to reopen it on, you know, 20 a 24-hour notice or 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 whatever have you? Because that seems to kind of be the cycle that we're working on. We'll, we'll hear, nope, open, and then, oh yeah, tomorrow I want all the schools to be closed. How, how easy that is it on your on your staff and your logistics in the school board to to do that? Well, think about uh, lending out 5,000 pieces of technology. You know, making sure people can get on, like, you can, you can do it. You can close a door and turn a light off, but there's going to be a whole bunch of people banging on the door and doing nothing for a few days. And, and then from the parents' perspective is not everybody has the luxury of calling their boss and saying that, guess what? I'm staying home the next two weeks on 24 hours, 12 hours notice. So, um, closing a building and turning lights off is easy. Doing it effectively you know, in a reasonable manner and making sure people are up and running with technology in, in 12 hours is literally impossible. So, you know, if you look at a map, the Halton region is not that small and we have quite a few schools and and uh, disseminating, you know, and I think in our board, it was 5,000 pieces of technology. And I'm sure in, in uh, Andrea's board, you're in the 10 to 12,000 pieces of technology. You're not giving out sticks of gum. You're giving out uh, an electronic device that has to have a charger, has to work, and has to have the right software, has to be able to be linked to Wi-Fi. You have to have accessible Wi-Fi, and you're you're potentially in a house with five or six other people who need to draw on that same Wi-Fi. So, um, you know, making the problem so it's not visible doesn't solve the problem. And, and the, those huge issues of equity that that, that come from that 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 uh, you know. Family X may have a laptop each and a bedroom each for each child to, to study in, uh, whereas family Z uh, has one clapped out laptop between the whole family and dad has to use it. You know, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's very frustrating that these obvious factors seem to be, uh, you know, the, the, the school boards and so many people are talking about it, and yet the people who actually have the power to kind of recognize this. Um, uh, are not uh, are almost pretending like these are just you know details that can be ignored. 
Um, and, and I mean, uh, just just in passing, I mean, just mentioned you know teachers I've spoken to that that you know there there are inevitably the children who uh, take masks off, who don't follow the rules very strictly uh, about not talking to people in other classes. That that all these things are. are um, I guess to an extent inevitable, but also very difficult. My understanding is, and you, you can comment on the, on whether, again, whether this is a fair point or not, that we don't have the kind of world anymore where if a child does something against the rules, they get sent home uh, uh, immediately. Uh, you know, they might be told, put your mask on, um, but they're not going to be like, okay, that's the third time you've done that. Now, this is a matter of life and death, actually. You need to go home. Uh, you shouldn't have been one of the ones who who came for in-person learning. Um, is 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 that something uh, that that either of you are aware of? A challenge that you face, uh, Andrea? Let's, let's, let's begin with you. Um, so I'm not in the schools, of course. Uh, so all I can uh, tell you is anecdotally that uh, those sorts of things happen uh, out in the out in the schoolyard. Um, you know, getting too close to each other. Uh, I, my own son is in grade six, and uh, he hears on a regular basis, you know, hey, guys, you have to keep your distance. You know, like, it's it, it's hard. And it's hard when you're a kid. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, it's uh, I feel for my son, who, uh, of course, uh, is spending all day in a mask, except for a few mask breaks and when he's eating. Uh, I hate wearing a mask just going to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. and he's got it on for hours. So um, inevitably, that's sort of what, what, what does it say that? I mean, when I can look at Minister uh, Lecce's press conferences this week, who's going on about how, how important the, our children's mental health is. And, and it is true. They are better off in schools for the social aspect and you know the, just that normalcy. Um, but let's be honest, that this, for this past school year, our schools have not been normal. They, 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 are, they are the farthest thing from it. I know my, my child is not able to play on the playground. They play in a, a zone mapped out on, a, on, the, on the tarmac. Um, and she's not able to play with her friends in the other, other classes. Not, not blaming the school board or the school for that. That's, those are the, that's the world. But you know, if there's such an urgency to get back to normal, and to allow kids to be kids, kids to play on the playground as they should, teachers to teach how they how they know is more effective uh, to to drive home the lessons. Why like why don't we see a, a push to get the schools safer? Like what why in your I'm just I'm, this is one of the things that boggles my head is we keep hearing schools are so are so important to be safe. We need to we need to get schools safe. Yet there's no concerted effort uh, to make that the case. Um, do you, do you have any any comment on that as, as the as the school board chair? Well, when you look at there is no capacity within our system. Uh, when you have you know high schools that are at two hundred percent utilization rate, um, you know twelve portables in your elementary schools. Um, say okay, we know that if we can give more space and reduce the number of students per class. And, so, okay, we're going to go to 15 with a number, or we'll go to 12. So, okay, go out now and hire 400 new teachers. And not, not only Halton, well, you know, Peel, you hire 900, and Toronto, you hire 4,000. It's just not realistic. We don't live in a, in a society that has 
capacity built into our infrastructure, built into any of our our public systems. So um, to to make it safe, I don't know what the number is. It would be an astronomical number, and that's the balance and the trade off. The reality of the world we live in is is what is the cost, and where where is that balance where safety equals I'm willing to pay that much for it, and that's where we are. And it was okay until the variant came in. Now, so now the scales move. So now you're tripling your cost to get that same safety factor or whatever the number is. But it's it's significantly more. It's it's exponential. It's not a straight line. It's it's going up exponentially. It seems so, like a classic case of, of, of uh, yeah. It seems like a, a sort of classic case of of trying to penny pinch a few months ago, and now we're going to be paying more because we've got a worse. Uh, we've got worse variants uh, that are more dangerous to teachers. That Chair uh, Grabowitz, uh, uh, do you have anything to add there? Um, I think that uh, Chair Murphy, uh, we're in this in a very similar boat uh, with regards to accommodation. We're both begging for um, accommodation for our students in a normal <laughs> in a normal year. Uh, so this is a uh, compounded it uh, exponentially. And um, I mean, I have to applaud our staff and our families and our students for really keeping the infection rate low during the non-variant time. And uh, we, I, I saw some stats that in Halton in total, now this would be our board, the Catholic board, French boards, and including private schools, there are about 200 schools in Halton. Uh, and there have been less than 20 outbreaks of a very small amount. So that's transmission within the schools themselves. Uh, so they have been very safe. Um, it's it's now where are we with these new variants? Just as uh, just as Patrick said, um, is this a, a new thing that um, may put uh, schooling at risk? I don't know, and it's not up to us. It's up to Dr. Magani or the minister to make the call to close schools. We can only close schools uh, t very temporarily. Uh, the director does that. We've had to close two schools uh, a week each, and it came down to operational closing. Um, one was because we couldn't get enough staff and the other uh, school, there was, it was so many parents decided to keep their kids home that uh, they weren't getting an education. Uh, more than, more than the majority were keeping their kids home uh, that were supposed to be in school. And so we thought the the operational staff thought that it would be best to move the whole school online so there would at least be a benefit for those kids that were already home well it definitely sounds like we're we're not we're, we're not out of the uh, the thick of it and there's still a little ways to go i guess we're uh, three months left in the school year so hopefully that's enough to get us uh get us out of it and put this one in the history books uh, I see that we're coming up on our uh, on our time limit, so I'm going to wrap up this episode there. And I just want to say uh, thank you to uh, you, Chair Grabons, and to you, Chair Murphy, for taking the time to come on the 905er uh, today. Uh, we hope to uh, to keep in touch and to uh, to see how uh, how things progress. Hopefully, it's for the best uh, as the months, uh, weeks, and months move on. So, thank you very much. Thank you. My thank pleasure. You. Appreciate your time.
That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.